I'm Emma Kenny. Welcome to Bang to Rights, the deep dive crime podcast, which takes you through some of the most heinous crimes the world has ever seen. So let's talk about this hideous excuse for a mother and woman. So 29-year-old Brittany Gosney. She was a single mum. She was living in Middletown, Ohio, with her three young children. She had a nine-year-old daughter who was called Rachel, a seven-year-old son, Lucas, and she also had a younger son, six-year-old James Robert Hutchinson. He was a first grader at Rosa Parks Elementary School. I will note that all of her three children did have different fathers. It's not a judgment call. Lots of people have failed relationships and they've had children within their failed relationships and they go on to lead lives as amazing parents and all-round great human beings. Having kids by different dads does not define you. But in Brittany's case, I think it does give us some insight into her, shall we say, chaotic lifestyle. Gosney had had a really troubled upbringing. I won't deny that. I think it's really important that when we're covering these cases, particularly when it relates to something as serious as this particular case it relates to, we do have to look at the indicators for forming the kind of personalities that eventuate from these individuals. And it was hard. It really was. Her childhood was incredibly, incredibly troubled. And this, in my opinion, certainly manifests itself in the way that she parents. She is a highly dysfunctional parent from the get-go with respect. Gosner's parents, they separated when she was really young. And unusually, she experienced a custody arrangement in her father's favour. So it was her dad who was granted custody of her. And, of course, what matters most is a child is in the safest place possible. And if that is the paternal side that is going to grant the child that, absolutely, that child should go to custody there. But it isn't stereotypical that the father figure has sole custody, so to speak. So we can also imagine that there was a level of chaos where the mother was concerned and probably circumstances that led to her being placed with a father suggest that the level of dysfunction was really high in her childhood. If that isn't difficult enough for Brittany Gosney, at 12 years of age, she's actually removed from her father's care too. So child services come in and they deem that the care that he's giving her simply is not acceptable. And it's also discovered that she was pregnant. She'd been the victim of repeated sexual abuse. That is a terrifying scenario for anybody to experience. The idea of being repeatedly sexually molested is a level of dysfunction and a level of hostility that you experience in your day-to-day life. It means that your world feels completely unsafe. Often you feel that you're being let down by the very people who are going to protect you. And of course, the confusion that sexual abuse can cause is that you may even like the person who's doing it to you because they might be compassionate and caring on one level. And even though they're horrific and sexually abusive on another, you don't necessarily understand the nuances when you're a child, particularly a 12-year-old child. If somebody is being nice to you and also having sex with you, even though you can't consent and it is rape, 
to some degree, the relationship that you might be craving of being made to feel worthy or validated, these are all very powerful and that's why it's so confusing for children who are sexually abused. But to add to that the fact that she gets pregnant, the fact that she's been molested in this way and it's led to her having to face giving birth to her first child, that would be psychologically highly traumatising for anybody. And no matter how I feel about Brittany Gosney, the fact that these are her roots demonstrates that she had had a very difficult upbringing. Her first child was put up for adoption. She was considered too young to look after it. And when it comes down to Brittany Gosney, don't get me wrong, for the grace of God, that child actually did get adopted. That, I promise you, was not just the right decision, but thank God it was a decision that took place. Because no matter how horrible this woman's experience was in childhood, it lends her absolutely no excuse whatsoever for the human being that she's gonna become. But nonetheless, we have to acknowledge and have sympathy and compassion for a child who should have experienced a far better childhood. So after she's removed from home, and she actually gets into a position where she's given birth to a child that's been taken from her, and she may have experienced some grief, lack of control, a sense that she's powerless in those situations, which of course then could play into her parenting. It could be that she really didn't care that the child was removed from her as well. I'm saying that just because I know about this case and I'm gonna award and afford Gosney very little sympathy because of the fact that I see what she becomes, who she defends and where her priorities lie. And that means that I can't place her in a position where she's prioritizing children at all not even the one that was taken from her. So she may have had some grief associated with that loss of control. She may have had some grief certainly associated with having to go through a pregnancy and a birth, but I'm not too sure that she would have spent that much time worrying about the child that was taken away from her. Gosden is then placed in foster and group homes. This is throughout Ohio and Kentucky until she's 18 years of age. I don't think you can get more chaotic and dysfunctional in an upbringing than that. To never feel that you belong in any one place, to often feel that your security is something that you wish you could have but is never achievable because other people have power over you and you're being moved around, that would be very difficult. And I think that care children and foster children, sometimes they have amazing experiences, but in comparison to the peers, the truth is that very often they are not as satisfactory and it can cause some really big scars. Every child wants to grow up believing that they are loved and cared for by their primary caregivers and if you don't feel that, if you feel that you've either been abused or that you've been abandoned, the attachment issues that can form psychologically are really problematic. In therapy, we often look at an analysis of childhood with our clients because we know that if somebody has had serious attachment issues or felt these abandonment issues, that it can cause some real fractures and play out in the way that they are in future relationships. So this is her until 18 years of age. You couldn't imagine a more chaotic, dysfunctional, and to be fair, abandoning childhood and adolescence that Gosney experienced. She then goes on to have three children to three different dads, as I've said. She had these kids at 20, 22 and 23. Still quite a young woman, a young mother. And 
We can add some emotional immaturity to this situation because she has had such poor foundations. There will be 23 year olds out there who are just knock it out of the park parents who won't have really needed any other help than being able to be safely allowed to give birth and then they just rock it as a parent and that happens all the time. But Brittany Gosney isn't in this category. She certainly hasn't had the emotional experience, education or developed the emotional intelligence to parent in a way that we're positive to her children. And what Brittany Gosney says is that when she became a mum, she'd actually attempted to relinquish custody of her children in the past because she claimed that she couldn't handle her situation. And I'm going to be honest, a little bit was like, well, you know what? You had three. You had three kids at 20, 22 and 23. You'd already relinquished one child. Bear in mind that wasn't your fault. It was a product of rape. And at the end of the day, you were too young. But you know how the system works? So the idea that after your first baby, when you're struggling, you were like, oh, well, have another baby. Oh, I'm still struggling. And then have another one to your third. And you're like, oh, I'm still struggling. Maybe I can just relinquish custody of my children. Maybe just get that on your first. Because it really frustrates me. We're talking about real life human beings. The most precious precious beings in the universe, babies and young children. And all she's thinking about is how she can get rid of them. And you know what? The irony of my statement there is that I would respect her at that point. Even though I would think to myself, and certainly if I was her social worker, looking at the child issues that she's talking about experiencing and her wanting to relinquish custody, if I were in that position, there would be a little bit of judgment, which would be like, really? Birth control. There you go, sorted. Adoption. Another option. Make other people thrilled and happy. Give your babies a destiny that most would desire because adoptive parents tend to be A1. So I would probably have a little bit of judgment there with the fact that she got to number three and then decided that she didn't want them. But you know what? I would also absolutely respect her because what she would be trying to do was to say, I can't do this. This is not for me. Parenting is not for me. Believe me, in this case, Brittany Gosme is dead right. Parenting is not for her under any circumstance in any universe. But I would respect that. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. If you don't feel capable of parenting and you know that there are services and systems available to you that mean that your child will be safely placed elsewhere, that's the right thing to do. She said as well that when she tried to get these children taken to alternative sources of care, that apparently she met loads of barriers where she tried to get help and she was basically refused. Court prosecutors, obviously, when this gets to a position of her being criminally prosecuted, it's their job to go through all the documents, you know, dot the I's, cross the T's, you know, check that Brittany Gosney isn't, shall we say, a massive liar. And guess what they find? No record of Gosney contacting support agencies. So it's fabrication. She may have felt that she didn't want her children anymore, but she doesn't actively go out of her way to seek the help that is required to ensure that her children to get into that system. 
And don't get me wrong, she may have had a mistrust of some of those agencies because of what she'd been through as a child herself. People hadn't protected her. But to manifest this fabrication, that says something about her personality. And we're going to learn more about that as we go through this. Now, Gosney had separated from James's father. James's father was called Lewis Hutchinson after she cheated on him. Bear in mind, this is her youngest child's father. And this is what she does. Again, I'm just painting a picture of personality where Brittany Gosney is concerned. So she is with her child James's father, Lewis, and they're actually staying at Lewis's sister's home. So Priscilla Hamilton is Lewis's sister. So they've been invited into that home because they've been struggling. They've got kids and you would imagine some kind of loyalty and also gratitude for that. So because they're temporarily homeless, Priscilla Hamilton has opened her doors to them. Yes, it's not an ideal situation. It would be chaotic and difficult, but clearly that says something about Priscilla Hamilton, doesn't it? That no matter what's going on, she's there for her brother and her brother's wife. At this point, Priscilla had been married for over 17 years to a guy called James Hamilton. 17 years. This is a long-term relationship. However, unbelievably, whilst Brittany Gosney and her kids are staying with Priscilla and her husband, it turns out that she begins an affair with Hamilton. And that's how Brittany Gosney thanks Priscilla Hamilton for inviting them into her home. She basically has sex with her husband. And when Priscilla discovers this, she's like, get out of my home, which is the correct, absolutely very respected course of action that I myself would see as fit. But that says something about Hamilton and Brittany Gosney. It says that they have poor boundaries. It shows deep ingratitude. It shows a willingness to be duplicitous and distrustful. And it says that neither of them care at all about their respective partners and the impact of their betrayal. Like I said, Priscilla was married to Hamilton for 17 years. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> a little bit of me is like, I bet Priscilla was really thrilled when she realized that she was going to be able to extricate Hamilton from her life. I would almost, if I had been Priscilla, be like, you know what you should do? You and Brittany, you should just like hang out a lot. I'm going to leave and let you two just like socialize. In fact, I'll stay with the kids and you just go out, maybe drink heavily, you know, get the beer goggles on. Because I think that Priscilla is very lucky that Hamilton was no longer part of her life, which we'll talk about as we go through this case. So now we have a 28-year-old Gosney and 41-year-old James Hamilton forming a relationship. This is from May 2020. In February 2021, this is after they've been moving from motel to motel because clearly Priscilla was like, get out of my house now. They'd not had any housing, so they're moving around, just sleeping where they can. And then they move into a house on Crawford Street, which is in Middletown. 
Now again, 28 year old and a 41 year old, there is a difference in age gap there. And one can imagine that Brittany Gosney would see him as more powerful because of his age and also because of the fractures that she has around relationships with men per se. It could well mean that there is a power imbalance and that she looks up to James Hamilton. Before long, she gets to doing the old, you know, social media stuff. Posting messages on Facebook, expressing her love and affection for Hamilton. She described him as my everything. I'm going to tell you now, guys. Low bar. Low bar. I know she's had a hard life, right? I get it. But personally, no matter what life serves you, aim high. As they say, aim for the stars. Just go for the stars. Just believe that you deserve better. But this is her bar. As far as she is concerned in this honeymoon period, Hamilton is everything. And I hate that. I really do. Everybody expresses themselves differently. But if you were going to say, what is your everything, Emma? I would say my kids. Simple as that. I love my husband very much. I am best friends with my brother. I adore my sister. But my everything, they're my kids. I'd lay my life down for them in a heartbeat, in the blink of an eye. If you could walk into this room now with a sawn off shotgun and be like, I'm going to have to kill you. But the consequence of that is your kids are going to win the Euro millions. They'll get over your death and they'll live fabulous lives and die over a hundred years old, surrounded by a loving family. I'd be like, blow my head off because a parent is desperate when they love their children to provide the best for them at all costs, including to themselves. By the way, that's never going to happen, is it? No one's going to be coming in here giving me that kind of choice. But the point is, I'm just evidencing that when you say my everything, it kind of suggests that they are the priority. This guy's in a new relationship. He's walked out on his wife because of the fact that he's been having an affair with her. They are hardly people to write home about regarding trust. And trust underlies everything in relationship. I will say that she also brags about how much she loves her children, which, as I said, I know parents do, of course. Who doesn't want to brag about how wonderful their children are? Because they are everything to us and we see, oh look how he just paid for that can of coke. I don't think I've ever seen anyone pay for coke in such a beautiful way, you know? I always say the great thing about my dad was that he used to applaud me for crossing the road. That's what we're like with our kids, right? Of course, we're proud of them. But this is a woman who genuinely does not know what it's like to feel anything, as far as I'm concerned, apart and aside from self-interest. But she lists on social media that her occupation is a full-time mommy. Now, of course, people can be full-time mommies. But at the end of the day, if you go through the roles and responsibilities and you just happen to have a senior person looking at her capacity to be one, she'd get sacked. And it'd be like, you know what? I could give you like a verbal warning. I could give you a written warning, but I'm just going to go straight to the, you're fired because that's what she deserves from the get go. She also had a particular type of penchant for wanting to be creative around finances. So she liked to try to raise money online, stroke exploit people online by getting handouts via Facebook. 
In one of these posts, she says, I'm a stay-at-home mum of three, on the brink of eviction, and I need $900. Gonna throw it in there. My response to that would be, that's sad, get a job. I mean, who wouldn't think of that kind of obvious answer? I've got three kids, I'm on the brink of eviction, I need some cash, I'm a full-time mommy in my profile, get a job. You'll get healthcare in lots of those as well in the States, which means that arguably your family, in spite of the fact that you won't be as present all the time, will benefit in lots of different ways. But no, she's like, $900, that's all I need. Which again, is not hardly going to go very far when you consider the fact that she's suggesting she's on the brink of eviction. But tells you that she is somebody who feels deserving of certain things in spite of the fact that she doesn't earn them and that she doesn't necessarily feel that she has to be responsible for her own children. She can ask other people to be responsible for them. And I think that's very telling of the kind of human being that she is. Now, you'll be amazed at the amount that she was able to raise because it does stun me. I myself have shared particular money raising situations online and you know we've got amazing results because human beings are unbelievably generous that's the incredible thing about human beings like people can be really struggling and they still see another person in need and they go ahead and they give and they're diligent and they're discerning on the whole and if they believe in a story they are willing to pay to help and Brittany Gosney raised nothing not a penny nothing not one cent anyway she doesn't give up She's like, this may not have worked this first time. Maybe it was the way that I put online that I was a stay-at-home mum and that I had three kids and maybe people thought, well, maybe you could just go and get a job. So instead, she claims that there is another reason why she needs to raise money. She needs to move house. She needs help. At this point, she does do slightly better. So in marketing, it is good to always think about changing your pitch. This time she raises $90. But it tells you, doesn't it, that the people who are looking at these posts, they're not buying into it, apart from a few people who are obviously very, very kind and have compassion running through their veins, but probably need to reevaluate who they give money to. Because Brittany Gosney is certainly not somebody who is going to use that money effectively. It makes me really sad as well, because people would probably have given her that money because of the fact that she had children. And we are suckers for wanting to make sure that kids are safe. But she's the kind of human being who's just going out there to exploit. She's lazy. This woman is lazy. She doesn't want to work. She doesn't want to parent. She doesn't want to do anything. And if she can get you to give your hard-earned cash to her, well, that will be thrilling for her. Because it just means that she can go ahead and spend your money looking after herself. As opposed to working. Now, around January 2021, it seems that Gosney has some real issues within her wider family. She falls out with her extended family. This includes her sister, and she ends up blocking them completely. The reason that her family believe this occurred is that they feel that Hamilton was trying to isolate her, that he had something to do with this. He was becoming more and more controlling. It had also been some time since James's father had even been allowed to see his son. So a youngest child isn't getting that interaction, which is awful. And this is really difficult for James's father because he wants a relationship with his son. And 
he's being ostracized from that relationship. Again, that's indicative of Hamilton being a power player in the relationship. Brittany Gosney is somebody who I believe is quite easy to manipulate. She doesn't have very strong feelings for her children. I don't believe that she does at all. So when it comes down to choosing what Hamilton wants over what her family want or what James's father wants, I think that she's always going to prioritise him. I also believe that Hamilton is quite a violent person. I think he'll be quite domestically abusive towards her. So she chooses to try to pacify him by accepting, firstly, what he wants, and also, I would imagine, accepting the treatment that he doles out on anybody, that she wants the relationship more than she wants a sanctuary for her children. We get to the 24th of February 2021. Again, Gosney's at it on social media, so she posts images on Facebook for St. Patrick's Day. Again, at this point, she's just professing love for her children and the reason I'm being so hard on her is because I really hate fake people like I hate inauthenticity I find it really difficult when somebody is knowingly and willingly writing things to try to garner some kind of attitude from the public that is so fake in reality because it means that you've got no responsibility and accountability for your behavior And it means that all you care about is other people's perceptions as opposed to the reality of what you're living. Because believe me, what I'm going to talk to you about today, it transpires that she is far from a model mum. Being a good mum is only what she writes on Facebook, as in that's how much it relates to her life, the myth of social media. There is no connection. She just wants people to look in and believe it. It seems like the new home as well that she's moved to is just a living hell for her children, a living hell. Now, according to Gosney, as I suspected when I first started looking into this case, Hamilton was indeed very abusive to all of her three children. At that point, I'm out, genuinely. If she reports later down the line that Hamilton is abusive to all of her three children, She's lost me then. Because of the door, you walk out. I know that people will say, well, Emma, people can be afraid for their lives. Emma, at the end of the day, when you're being controlled by an abusive perpetrator as a partner, then your decisions can be impaired. No. I understand that women and men put up with the most inhospitable experiences and psychologically they can be tortured by a partner. But when you are in a situation where your children's lives are at risk, if you allow that abuse to continue, you are complicit in the abuse. The reality is, when he lays hands on those kids and he's highly abusive to them, he is highly abusive. And she does nothing, well, she becomes a perpetrator. Hamilton down the line as well, well, he did actually say that there were points where he would threaten the kids to try to get them to behave. And one of the things that he would threaten was that he would hogtie the children. Hogtie. Who in their right mind would threaten kids, young kids, with such a terrifying consequence? And the brutalization involved in that kind of activity to treat 
kids in that way, as if the animal is being taken to a slaughterhouse. But this is what he thinks is appropriate. And he also admitted that at times he'd punch the children, not hit them. And even though I'm avidly against hitting and smacking, the idea of punching a child, there is such a massive distinction between a parent who gives a child a tap on the hand or a slap on the bottom. And again, I'm not for that at all. I'm totally against any violence towards children. I don't think it's acceptable, but everybody is different as a parent. And as long as you're not abusing your child, then I appreciate some people will choose to smack, although all the evidence says that you're likely to cause even worse behavior as opposed to healing behavior. But never mind, people still will do it. But he punches the kids. So were they on their stomachs actually all the time? Yes. What's the worst thing you've ever done to any of those kids? Punch them. Punch them. Which, which one did you punch last? James. This is high level abuse and she should be putting herself in between him and her children. He said as well that it's all very well Brittany Gosney saying that he was the abuser in the relationship because she was also somebody who was very physically abusive towards them and her behaviour that I'm going to talk to you about, what eventuates in this crime, damn straight she is an abuser. Damn straight this isn't all Hamilton at all. We get to the 26th of February 2021. And as you'll know, because I'm going to play interrogations during this particular content so that you can hear what goes on, you'll hear the fact that they describe that the children were apparently really playing up badly on this day. And they decide, after threatening their children with being hogtied, that they're actually going to go through with it. They're actually going to do this to these young children. She went to tie her up, and she said, would you please help me? I don't know how to tie nobody mm -hmm. up. I had never did this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, I'll help. Mm -hmm. I did tie the other two up, So were they on their stomachs actually all the time? Yes. So they hog-tie them, and then they gag them. And the way that they gag them is by taking the dirty underwear and stuffing that dirty underwear in their mouths. Now Hamilton apparently had to help Gosney tie up her daughter because Gosney had never done it before. So Hamilton is au fait at doing this. God knows who else he's abused in this way, but she is compliant. She helps him. She's actually helping him to abuse her children in this heinous manner. They get these lengths of red and black rope Hamilton's basically been to Walmart and bought them. So this is premeditated. This is planned. And then after hog tying them, they leave them on the stomachs with the hands and the feet tied together behind the backs. It's agony. Tied up all three of my children. Mm -hmm. Stuck dirty underwears in their mouth. And he was beating them. Literally beating them. Okay. I can hear thumps on them. They left those children in that position for six hours. And where did they place them for those six hours? In a closet. A closet that was just three foot wide. It won't surprise you that the kids were desperate to try to get out. And James actually managed to get free at one point. You know what he did? When he managed to get out of those hog ties, he shouts his mum. 
He asks her for help because he wants to go to the toilet. Think about that. This little boy, even though he's managed to get out of his ties, he's too scared to release himself from that closet prison. So he calls his mother because he wants her to know that he needs a toilet. He won't want to get into trouble for that. And Hamilton just goes back upstairs and ties him back up. Gosney and Hamilton are monsters, in my opinion, and it's not going to get any better as I go on. But the fact that she allows that, and the fact that he sees fit to do that to a tiny little child, what kind of excuses of humans are these individuals? Gosney said that when he went upstairs to do that, she also heard loud banging and loud thumping sounds. And she believed, on reflection, that Hamilton was assaulting James. She just sat and listened. Again, I appreciate people who are in situations of domestic abuse, they can be terrified for their own lives. Well, you know what? When your child's life is in danger, I'm afraid you're going to have to suck it up and you're going to have to try to help them because they are a priority. It's not about you. It's always about the kids in these cases. She didn't even go and check on James or the other kids after that. She just got on with the day. Then we get up to approximately 3 a.m. This is on the 27th of February, 2021. This is hours after the kids have been hogtied. Suddenly, Gosney decides that she's going to put her kids in the minivan and she's going to drive them to Preble County Park. Now, this is a place that she had taken the kids on family trips in the past. Can you imagine that? She's hogtied the kids with Hamilton. Now she's transporting them to a place that probably had some good memories for those kids, but now it's gonna be a place of terror. Now she even had been there with Hamilton. She'd taken the children to Rush Run Wildlife Area, which is in the Preble County Park because they'd been fishing there. So they knew the area. But also, the kids had probably had some happy memories. So she's tainting them in doing that. But what the hell is she thinking? Putting those kids hogtied in the van, taking them to that county park. She later goes on to tell the investigators that the plan that she had when she was there was to just abandon them in the early hours of the morning. Imagine how terrified those kids were. She was just going to drive there and leave them. They are children, young children. She said the reason is that Hamilton's pressuring her to get rid of them. He said that he found her kids disrespectful. Apparently they didn't do what he wanted. They didn't go ahead and answer all his needs in the way that he felt was appropriate. And therefore they shouldn't be in their life. And according to Gosney, Hamilton wanted to get rid of them by leaving them at the nature reserve so coyotes would eat them. Seriously. Apparently this conversation had occurred and Brittany Gosner's response and reaction to that was to get the kids in the minivan and to take them there and to leave them there. She's had the whole drive. Hamilton's not with her. He suggested this. You know, she could have just got in that minivan and driven straight to the police station and said, I have some crazy, crazy guy who's controlling me. 
and wants me to drop my kids off at a nature reserve so that they get eaten by coyotes. Like, she had that option, but she didn't. She says that what she did say was, well, you know, we could drop them at a park where they might get eaten by coyotes, or we could drop them at the fire station instead. But Hamilton's like, the fire station? No, we're not going to do that. Why drop them at a fire station where, I don't know, staff who are trained in safeguarding may be able to protect them and put them into care, for example? No, that's a terrible idea. We should definitely just drop them at the park. Just hope that some random coyotes just come and kill them. He said all he can do is just leave them there or tie them up to something mm -hmm. and leave them there and let the, coy the coyotes eat them. So this is apparently a conversation that has occurred. How warped is this? So in those early hours, she basically takes them to the nature reserve on her own. Okay. It was just me and the three kids because he said he needed a break or I needed to do something with the kids. Okay. And you were tired of hearing him or what? I, I was tired of listening to it. Okay. So I just got to grab my kids because that's what I think of first is to grab my kids and go. Mm -hmm. And he told me I can drive the van okay. or whatever. So he told you to take the van? Yeah, he told me whatever I wanted, I wanted to drive, I can take it. Right. Because I have my license. So I took the van and was going to the lake, park, whatever it is. Have you ever been there before? Or um, you just, what made you go there? Because it's kind of out of the he has a friend, well, he used to, he no longer does his life and whatever, got an argument. Um, he has a friend named Dean and Ashley that lives somewhere out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly where. It's a really dark, really remote spot. And that meant that there'd be absolutely no one there who would be able to hear the terrified screams of her kids. The terrified screams of her driving away and leaving her kids. And if it's not horrific, what I'm describing already, and if you can hear the slight rage in my tone, it's because I cannot believe that this was something that they considered, thought out and put into action. It is blindsidingly disgusting. Because not only is she gonna drive away from these kids, this is February. It was at sub-zero temperatures. When she's taken in for question about this, by the way, the version of events that apparently happened, they just change over time. So I'll be honest with you, I don't think we're ever going to know the absolute truth. But I'm going to take you through the claims and also how it changes. So first of all, Gosney claims that she stops in the car park and she tells her three children to get out. At the parking spot, they, they were there. So did you pull into a spot? It was like down this way, like those lines were kind of faded. Yeah, so you parked kind of down this way. It was close to the bathroom, but not close enough. So you were so you were actually nosed in. You were pointing towards yeah. the water. So you got two kids over here, and then you've got James milling about. Let's say that's you right there. Okay. And you got James milling about over here, right? Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. So, where was James whenever you backed up and pulled out? 
So I wasn't all the way into the parking spot. Mm -hmm. I was just like halfway there, not all the way there. Um, I went to just, well, I didn't even have to back up. I just went to go this way. So you just went to loop around? Yes. Okay. And he was, he didn't have a handle when I looked out my mirror. Mm -hmm. When I went to go pull away, I'm guessing he had the handle. Right. And, um, and then I went to go drive off, and he, of course, sure. had a handle. Sure. When I looked, he didn't have it. Apparently, she said that only the two eldest left the minivan. James is pretending to be asleep. If that's the case, it also shows you that James, even though he's very young, likely felt that something wasn't right. So Gosney then just pulls James from the vehicle and he gets absolutely hysterical. He's screaming and asking his mum not to leave him there. He's terrified. Then Gosney in spite of listening to the screams of her children and her youngest child begging her, begging her not to leave. She then gets back into the vehicle and she attempts to speed away. I just went around him and didn't realize he had the handle. Did and you see him grabbing the handle? No. You're just but when I kind of like, he, I'm assuming he grabbed the handle because I kind of pulled him a little bit, not much, and he got up and it fell back down. I guess I kind of probably made him hurt his knee on the ground or something, mm -hmm. and he lost his balance, and um, he tried to catch his balance. He didn't get to, right. and he fell and busted his head on the ground. And you drove back to the... I didn't drive back to the house. I went back to get him. How far away did you get? Um, just around the road a little bit. She says that, unfortunately, she hit the accelerator, and as she hit the accelerator, James runs to the minivan, grabs hold of the door handle, and that meant that he was subsequently dragged as he hung on, whilst the minivan just accelerated away. According to Gosney, she could see him in the wing mirror, struggling to keep his balance. She could also hear her other children screaming in the distance. But she just continued to drive. The name I want to call her at this moment in time is so appropriate, yet will probably mean that my video is only for over 18, so I'm not going to refer to her as the word that I believe fits her. It may begin with a C. She drives, knowing that her child has been clinging onto the wing mirror, screaming, knowing that her other children are in sub-zero temperatures, knowing that for James, how can this end well? This little boy, this child, screaming, like a little warrior, desperate to hold on, to stop his mum, to try to apply an appeal to those maternal instincts that she doesn't have, clearly. But in his mind, with his idea of what a mother would be, of course she'll stop. Of course she'll realise. Of course she'll protect him. How wrong he was. 
that little boy, he loses his grip and then he falls and he hits his forehead on the ground with considerable force. She's been accelerating, remember. Then when Gosney reaches the entrance to the park as she's on her way home, she texts Hamilton. She says that she's left the kids as they agreed. But she then says that James may actually be her. So he tells her to go back and to get them. So then she says that she drives back and it's taken so long by this time that her two older children have actually managed to walk about a quarter of a mile in the direction that she had driven. So then she picks them up and she continues driving to the car park. So at that point she sees James's motionless body just lying on the ground. She gets out of the minivan and one of her other children says that James had been dragged and that they'd seen James hit his head. She realises at this point he isn't breathing. He's clearly dead. I just want you to think about this for a minute. She left her seven and nine-year-old children alone in the dark in sub-zero temperatures with their dead brother. They had done nothing in the ballpark of deserving any of this. No child could ever require this kind of punishment. I mean, I think we've had parents in the past certainly admit to doing things like saying that they're going to leave their kids unless they do do A, B or C, or they're going to get somebody to come and get their kids from the police station if they don't do A, B and C. I understand that parents use these kind of manipulations to get good behaviour, but I have never heard of a parent who has done anything so reprehensible as drive children to a park where they're in the middle of nowhere in freezing temperatures to kill one of the kids and then to leave those children in that scenario. So apparently she takes James's body, she puts the body back in the minivan and she drives him home. According to Gosney, after arriving back, Hamilton and her take James's body place it beneath his window in his bedroom. They keep him there for 24 hours, and this is all because they're trying to figure out what the hell that they should do. So when you got back home with James, you're back, you with come back kids. with the kids. Uh, how do you bring James, do you just carry James into the house, or does James go out and get him? Uh, I carried him in. Okay. So you come, you carry the boy back inside. Mm -hmm. you, have you already contacted James and told him what happened? Okay, by text or by, by call? It was a text. You, you sent him a text? Yes, and then he called me, told me to bring him back because he couldn't get James to listen. So you bring the kid back, you carry the kid in, and then what happens? Where do you put the kid? Where do you put James? I just laid him on the live in the, the, when you walk in the door, that room right there on the floor. The, the front, when you walk in the front the room, living room? Yes, the front room. Sure. So the living room Where the, the couch, couch is? Yes. You lay him I laid him on the floor. Okay. The bare floor. Mm -hmm. And he took him upstairs. He took him upstairs and put him in the bedroom. Like in a closet? where It was on the floor. There's a window here and a window here. He put it right there on the floor. Okay, so as I go up the steps, there's two bedrooms. The straight. Keep going straight. The straight bedroom. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
is where at on the floor? Where at in there? Right there on that, the, not this front window, but the side window. Okay. Bear in mind what I'm talking about now is that they know this boy is dead. Where is the grief? Where is the screaming, the crying, the calling, the emergency services? Where is the acknowledging responsibility? Where is the, oh my God, what have we done? No. Doesn't exist. They aren't concerned about the fact this little boy's dead. I mean, he, as we know, is just an appendage neither of them wanted anyway. What they need to know is how to get away with it. So in the early hours of the 28th of February, 2021, this is after her two kids are asleep. Remember what these children have been through. They've been in that home with their dead brother. They must have been beyond traumatized from the experience of firstly being abandoned, but then seeing him killed. And they're in that house with Gosney and Hamilton. It must have been absolutely horrifying for them because they must have been thinking, what next? They've killed my brother. Are they gonna kill me too? Of course, they're going to be completely compliant, aren't they? Desperate not to die themselves. So whilst they're sleeping, Gosney and Hamilton basically load James's body into the vehicle. They use that same black and red rope that they'd used earlier to hogtie him. Hamilton also ties a large concrete block around James's chest. This is a child's body. They've already killed him in heinous circumstances. They've shown no respect towards this little boy at all. And now they're tying a concrete block around his chest. And you know why they're gonna do that. Because the next destination is all about trying to ensure that no body is found. They drive for about an hour before they stop off at the Carol Lee Cropper Bridge. This is near Lawrenceburg and it's Indiana. For those of you who don't know that area. This rope that he got for work use mm -hmm. and was using it to wrap, I'm guessing wrap the kid, the James and the brick, the center block. They take that little boy's corpse and they just dump him like garbage. And like I said, making sure as far as they're concerned that they sink him so that they can't find a body. What kind of monsters do that? Well, Gosney and Hamilton, they're the kind of monsters that do that. Stopped to the middle of the bridge, told me to get out, mm -hmm. hurry up and open the back passenger side door. Mm -hmm. And I was to grab his feet and help him toss the child over when I we tossed him around our uh the splat because of the brick being heavy. Now they've got rid of the body of course. They've got to set about planning the alibi, setting up the story, you know, why James is no longer present in her life. So on Sunday morning the twenty eighth of February two thousand and twenty one, after they've dumped James's body they enter Middletown Police Department. And at this point, they report that James was missing. Now, I just want you to all go in the headspace of what you would feel like if your child, your very young child, wasn't around when you woke up in the morning. I mean, you would be able to hear my screams 
three miles away. You know what happened in my life once? I got up in the morning, I went to wake up my children as I always did when they were infants. And my two-year-old son, he wasn't in his bed. My four-year-old son was. I looked all over the house. I started to get what can only be described as hysterical. And I was really fortunate that at the time, my other half was kind of searching with me and becoming more and more terrified. And I went back for like the fifth time into my young infant son's room, convinced that he'd been taken by some predator, absolutely losing my mind. And what had actually happened is his little baby body, because it was in a bed, he'd gone to the bottom of the bed and he was just covered in the corner of the bed with all his quilt cover right down so it looked like no one was there. I can remember that moment with agonizing, agonizing connection. It stayed with me all my days because the idea that your child isn't there when you wake up, that tiny experience of feeling that my child was no longer present, it was so destroying and if that had been the case, and I'd gone to the police after calling the police, screaming the whole neighborhood down, knocking on people's doors, I would have been needed to be sedated. That's how desperate I was. And I reflect a normal reaction, but that's not how they are. They just walk in, they saunter in. There's no distress. And they basically tell them that James was missing. They said he'd been missing for several hours and they'd been looking for him. Said no parent ever. No parent who is innocent and loving tells somebody that they've been on their own looking for a young child for hours. You're terrified. So the police, understandably straight away, are like, we have a real problem here. They get local volunteers and police officers out scouring the local area. They're desperate to find this little boy. But straight off from the get-go, the police are like, something isn't right here. This is not a normal way for anyone to come and report a child. Like, for example, there's a phone. Hello, 911, emergency service, which do you want? I would really like to report my kid missing. I'm gonna have a breakdown. I can't find them anywhere. We'll be with you shortly. That's what happens. You're not like, oh my God, we've been looking for my child for like several hours. I think I'm probably just gonna like, I don't know, just walk to the local, police station, maybe have a chat with the front desk officer and just, you know, say that my kid's not here. That is not what happens. You call 911 in a panic. And also, to add to how weird her story is, she basically says that her child had been missing since 4.30am, but apparently they'd wait till 10am to notify the police. So, I get it. There were some parents who were like, oh, you know, I've accepted that my child has been out playing and they didn't get home at the right time and I was worried but it turned out they were fine. If you found your child was missing from home at 4.30 a.m., you're not like, oh, maybe they're at the park with the mates. 4.30 a.m., you're like, my child has been abducted by a predator and you're on the phone straight away. You don't just amble around or have a drive around yourself thinking, oh, I'll just find them, they'll just turn up somewhere. But this is what they're telling the police. During the question in the police, I tell you from literally the moment they start speaking to them, they know that these are the guilty parties because they get more and more suspicious because Gosney and Hamilton's version of events are bizarre. 
from the get-go, they separate Gosney and Hamilton because clearly they want to get separate accounts of James's disappearance. It's easier for them to trip up when they're giving those accounts. If they're together, they can both support the account and they can learn what the other person is additionalising to it, which means that on further questioning, they're going to be able to substantially agree with what the first version was. So they get them separate straight away. And Gosden is initially interviewed by police for over three hours. And of course, when they start interviewing her, as you'll see, she's like, I've done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong at all. I'm just a really great mum. I just love my children. If you need any evidence of that, it's on Facebook. Yeah, because everyone knows that like what you write on Facebook is like entirely true. So no case to answer. Can I leave now? That is how she kind of approaches it. She's not done anything wrong. And what she says is that Hamilton had woken her up in the night and said to her, look, James is missing. So again, police officers like, I, just, I don't know, I'm not getting this. It's not working out for me. So I'm just gonna go after you've told me that this is what's played out. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna leave you for a little bit. So he leaves the room. He leaves the room for half an hour. And I have to say, the guy initially talking to her, I do feel was quite patient and compassionate because he definitely knows that she's a massive liar. So he knows what he's gonna do, but he is quite good at building rapport and making her feel heard and not necessarily going, you are clearly the person responsible, which is why in this circumstance, I would never have been good at interrogating. <laughs> They'd have been like, Emma, you really can't physically threaten people in the way that you just did to get the answers. It's not allowed. But that's what he realizes he has to do to remove himself from the situation, to give her some time to stew, and then to come in with a new claim. And he comes back into that room and he says, Hamilton, your apparent love of your life, you're my everything, the guy who just makes your soul so happy. Yeah, basically, he's blamed you for everything. So that's what he tells her. Gosney is shocked by this, and she immediately just changes the story. Now she says, well, you know, I actually did take the kids for a drive, and whilst we were out driving they'd basically stopped to use the toilet during which period james had slipped and hit his head on the car and had subsequently died okay with respect again are you telling me that you took the kids out for a drive this is horrible accident your kid somehow dies and the response is to drive them back to your home, leave the body there, not inform social services, the hospital services, the authorities, but instead to actually concoct a story where he's missing. If it's an accident, it's an accident, right? You call emergency services, you admit what you've done. Yeah, it's not gonna be great for you as a parent, but at least you will have acted according to what is expected. The minute you take a child's body and you throw it in a river, you are clearly showing culpability. But this is what she's now trying to suggest, 
But then after speaking to Hamilton, this detective now has got all of this information, of course, because he now has got some ammunition where there is culpability and liability being exposed. It turns out that Hamilton said that they'd jumped James's body in the Ohio River. So he's played them off against each other. And neither of them are, shall we say, the brightest sparks in the class. One wouldn't imagine that they would be the kind of people who could formulate an appropriate argument that could dissuade, shall we say, interrogators and detectives to believe that they were telling the truth. I will show you the footage throughout this and you'll be able to very much see that there was not a lot going on. I'm not saying their brains were flat lines. I'm saying the activity was very, very slow and rare, in my opinion. Judgy, I know, but nonetheless, in this case, I feel I'm allowed these judgments. The only person I care about in this is James and those other kids. So did he look dirty at all when she brought him back in? What do you mean by dirty? I mean, like, did he look like he had fell down? Did he look like he had been in the water? The only thing I seen on him when he came in was that big spot right here on his head. Like he fell and hit. Was there any doubt in your mind he was dead? No, none, none at all. So, okay. And when she brought him in, I seen him. I, I knew he was lifeless. He was mm -hmm. So. I mean, I even asked her, why didn't you just go ahead and call the police man? And literally, she woke up the police then and just told him that she stopped him when she was in the bathroom and he tripped and fell. Well, so we asked for that too. I asked for that. We asked for that a couple of times. Why didn't you call the police? I mean, I don't care. Did you actually watch it? Turn around, come back home. I told well, because I'm still wondering that myself. I told her that three times. She's saying you told her to take him, take him out there and leave him in the woods is what she's saying. And she's actually, right now, she's taking a polygraph test to see if her statement is accurate about what... I, mean, I kept telling her she needs to do something with them. Mm -hmm. Is exactly what you need to do something with them all. Because you gave her directions to rush run to the lake. Well, I told her rush run. Mm -hmm. And then you gave her direct, you told her to look up the lake. I told her to stop. And you were going to, and your instructions were to leave them there and not come back. No, that was not. So the detective is basically being amazing and playing them off effectively. And at this point, when he says to Gosney, look, Hamilton's told us James's body is in the Ohio River. Gosney then confesses that she actually took her children to Preble County Park and said that Hamilton had actually been the one behind it. He'd been pressuring her to get rid of them. And she described how James had in fact been dragged to his death. James, the kid, didn't want to get out of the van. I told him I wasn't going to leave them. Well, I was thinking about leaving them. So I kind of like pulled off a little bit and James fell kind of down on his knees, went to get back up and then just dropped. I'm assuming that he held the handle because I was kind of trying to pull him a little bit, not much. 
He tried to catch his balance. He didn't get to it and fell and busted his head on the ground. I mean, the fact that she refers to James as the kid, not my kid, not my love. She doesn't get hysterical describing this. It's just like water off a duck's back. Oh yeah, you know, he fell, he died. These things happen, right? She also denies that she'd ran over James with the minivan. And then she said that she also claimed to revive him. And she said that when she failed to be able to revive him, she laid him, quote, nice and softly in the minivan. Ni what? Nice and softly? What? What planet are you on? He's dead. You just killed him. You don't get to be like, oh, well, you know, I may have killed him in a horrific abandonment way. But what really matters is that when I finally collected his body that I'd abandoned for a period of time, I laid his body nice and softly in the minivan. Can you imagine how the investigators are feeling at this moment in time? I would have to grip the table so hard. I may need zip ties to stop my hands ending up around her throat. That has to be sometimes how these investigators feel. We're talking about this little kid who's been senselessly killed because of the selfishness of these excuses for a parent and step-parent. According to Gosney as well, it was Hamilton's idea to dump James's body in the river. He didn't want anybody to know that he'd actually assaulted James before. And because there were bruises on his body, he felt that even though she'd been the one who essentially had been there when he had died, some culpability would be extended to him because he had been abusive to this gorgeous little boy. Again, makes no sense. None of this makes any sense because they're both absolute liars, aren't they? Now, later down the line, she actually takes the investigators to the spot where James had died and the police aren't actually able to find any viable evidence of the alleged crime that had happened there. But this is where she shows them and says this is where it did play out. She also takes them to where they both dumped his body in the river. But the river was on flood, which meant that at the end of the day, it was just a massively unmarked grave that she was pointing out. There wasn't one area that she could have said, this is definitely where the body will be because it was flooding and it was huge. Now, what is shocking about her interviews, and it is shocking, I've watched a lot of interrogations. I spend a lot of time watching interrogations, in fact, because one, I kind of like the way that different detectives and interrogators use different methods, particularly highlighted in ones like the Chris Watts case, where the female interrogator is excellent at building rapport and equally being very strong about making him aware that she knows he's a liar, but maintaining that kind of bridge of agreeability that makes him feel that he can't be negative towards her or not engage with her. You know, it's really helpful to watch these kind of interrogations, but often when you're watching them, even with the most psychopathic of individuals, you'll see these kind of breaks in the way that they behave or anger, 
or denial in a way that's constant and consistent. But what is really notable about the interviews with Gosney is her absolute lack of emotion. She's admitted to causing this horrible death of a gorgeous six-year-old little boy and she has no remorse. In fact, the only thing that I can say that she's doing during those interrogations is she's like, okay, I've been found out. It's acknowledged now that I've been involved in my son's death. How do I minimise this myself? Right, I'm going to blame it all on Hamilton. I'm going to make it him. Now, he wasn't driving the car. He didn't drive away from those kids. Yeah, we might have loaded the gun and asked her to shoot it, but she shot it. And yet now it's all about her blaming him. Now, during the interrogation, Hamilton does admit that he was an abuser. He said that he had inflicted abuse on all three of the children. He admitted that he'd hogtied them. He admitted that he'd punched them on occasion. And he actually said that the last child he had punched had been James. So when we think about them being hogtied in that closet and Brittany Gosney allowing him to go upstairs and assault James, this was validated by what he's telling the investigators. He also said that if they managed to find the body, they would see bruises on James's backside, his back, his ribs and his legs. So he's not hiding from the abuse that is carried out on that poor kid. But what he also claims is, I was not alone in this abuse. Gosney punched her kids as well. He also denied what Gosney said about his plan to abandon the children. In fact, he said, look, that's absolute lies. The plan that I suggested was that you put the kids out of the car, you drive away a little bit, you scare them, you leave them for a little bit, and then you return a few minutes later. You terrify them, but you don't actually drive away from them. Now, I can't tell you that Hamilton is telling the truth there. I'm saying that that ironically makes a little bit more sense than just abandoning them, imagining that coyotes are going to eat them, or more likely they're going to freeze and be found by someone, thus implicating you either in killing them because they've frozen to death, or you're getting charged with child endangerment and abuse because somebody's found them and the authorities have been told. So to some degree in my head, I could actually think of an abuser going, oh, just make them think that you're driving away. And then at the end of the day, you're going to return and get them. And we do know that Brittany Gosney allegedly has told the services that at points in her parenting, she didn't want her kids. I can only give you the information that I've got and have some judgments in my own mind about what that might be. I'm certainly not minimising Hamilton's role in this. He's horrible. He then says that she's meant to go ahead and leave them for a few minutes and collect them, but he then gets this call. And Gosney says, look, James is dead. Obviously, that's unexpected. And he tells police that when he actually sees James's body, what he notices straight away is there's this really large mark in the centre of his forehead. And he could see, in his opinion, that this is where he'd struck his head after being dragged along by the car. Now, as with Gosney, I have to note, when it comes down to the expected reactions that you would imagine seeing in an individual who's just 
acknowledge the part that they've played in this horrific killing and covering up or attempted cover up of this killing. He has such little emotion. Honestly, it's like they're talking about something so negligible. There's no investment around the reality of the individual who's died. No emotional connection. It's just they're describing something that happened. And the only time you see emotion is when he's actually told he's going to be charged. And he says, and he's upset that he's going to go to jail because he basically has helped her. So now he's like, oh, now it's really regretful. No, I'm not regretting the fact that this little boy is dead, killed by his own mother. I'm not regretful that at the end of the day, these kids have been horribly abused by me. I'm regretful that, you know, I helped her and now I'm going to get into trouble. Just total egocentricity, narcissism, as simple as that. Gosney's minivan, as we now know, because they transported the kids in there, they impound it and they search the actual vehicle and they find traces of blood on the floor. So they can link the fact that indeed that poor child had been transported in there. During the investigation itself, Gosney and Hamilton were both remanded in custody. They're far too dangerous to let out. Of course they are. You can't have them walking the streets when they're capable of such a monstrous crime. So we have two other children now, don't we, who need to be looked after. So her kids are placed with Butler County Children's Services. They're going to protect and look after those kids from that point on. And as much as the care system is not ideal, my God, have these kids escaped the most dreadful of circumstance. Genuinely, you can't imagine the horror those kids have been through and the chaos that they have been living. And when you listen to the interrogations, even things such as what she would feed them for tea is brought up. And often they weren't fed. Often they were given bread. They would feed themselves. So Hamilton and Gosney would look after themselves but the kids would often go hungry. And even when she was feeding them, she'd be feeding them things like Hot Pockets, which are just absolutely not nutritionally sound. They were just essentially appendages that she didn't want around her, really. They were nuisances, and it's demonstrated within every single aspect of her parenting. It gets to the 8th of March, 2021, and this is when Gosney and Hamilton appear in court. They plead unbelievably not guilty. They have a total of 31 charges against them. This is including murder and corpse abuse. Gosney initially, she faced 16 felony charges. So these range from murder to kidnapping to tampering with evidence. But she gets the opportunity to have a plea deal. So in the end, she pleads guilty to murder and two counts of child endangering. So she'd initially tried to plead, by the way, not guilty by reason of insanity in March 2001. Now, I think we can all agree that there was an insanity level of thinking they would get rid of this, but that's just because they're stupid. 
as well as gross murderers. But she's thinking, how do I get away with this? And again, why would you want to? This is always the question I ask myself. Like, If you had killed your child in such a terrible way, if you had caused the anguish and distress to your other children, if you knew in society around you that you were a child killer, like I would literally be saying, lock me away forever. I would not be able to handle the guilt. The last thing I would be thinking is like, oh, how do I get off with this? I don't really want to have to go to prison at all. And this child means so little to me that I don't feel that there should be any sentence served. That's how her mindset is working. So she goes, you know, I just was completely insane at the time. She said that she had a learning difficulty and that she didn't understand the proceedings around her. So that not only is she pleading insanity, then she's then saying, well, I'm not even compass to stand trial. It's too clever for me. And look, of course, anybody, particularly in the UK, in the States, it all seems a little bit more dramatic when they're in court. Whereas in the UK, it's very, very guarded and very traditional and the language they use is very difficult to understand. So even if you're a PhD, the point is intelligence doesn't make it easier for you in those circumstances often. It doesn't matter what your intellect is, it's incredibly confusing. In America, it's a little better because they often use language that anybody can connect with, but certainly it's still a high level. They talk about particular cases that they're introducing to compare with. They're citing cases that support and substantiate what they're trying to put across. It's confusing. But she's saying, well, really, can I have a fair trial if I don't even know what's going on? And it's like, well, Brittany Gosney, we don't even think you deserve a fair trial, to be honest. Why do people like you deserve a fair trial? But apparently, again, I'm not in charge of the world. And they get them. They get fair trials. And so they do go ahead and give her a psychological evaluation. And they're like, Brittany Gosney, you're not even good at acting like you're insane. Really you are completely competent to stand trial. I will say that they did find one thing and you're all gonna be like really surprised by this. They're gonna be really surprised out there when they hear that she had an underlying personality disorder marked by anti-social features. Again, there's a little bit of me that's quite sarcastic and I appreciate that I'm struggling to compose myself in this tale. It's like it is with child death. I just find it really hard. But I don't think we needed any kind of report saying that she had an antisocial personality disorder. Of course she did. You can't get more psychopathic than what we're describing. Because look, there are serial killers who exist. There are heinous murderers out there who kill random strangers. There are horrific domestic abusers who create homicides. I get all of those things. We know they exist. But this is a mother. This is a mother who killed her own child. This is a mother who abandoned her children in the freezing weather and drove away to terrify them. This is a mother who threw the body of her little baby boy over into a river to avoid prosecution. So damn straight, she has an antisocial personality disorder. They say marked by antisocial features. Marked by antisocial features? What marks? The one where she murders a kid and then she takes him home, decides how to get rid of his body and then throws him over into a river and then lies to the police to try and get away with it. Oh, and then pretends that she's insane. Yeah, I don't think 
marked by antisocial features is correct. It's just fully antisocial, psychopathic features, in my opinion. Or we could throw in sociopathic. Let's say they're also, give her the benefit of the doubt, she has been formed by a horrific life early on, but that does not give her reason to carry out these kind of heinous crimes. I feel like I've been struggling to keep my personal feelings in check on this particular video. I'm going to appreciate and acknowledge that. See, difference between people like me and Brittany Grosny is I take responsibility and accountability for the way that I feel. There's going to be someone watching this video who's like, why is she so unprofessional? Because I'm a mother. If you're not a mother, you likely won't be able to understand the way that you are provoked by these feelings. Of course, if you're a father or you've adopted a child or fostered a child, you'll all be on that page. But I'm just saying, if you happen to be one of the rare individuals who wants to criticize the fact that I am judgmental on these cases, well, it's probably not the channel for you, if I'm honest, but also I'm not gonna apologize. I can't compute this kind of heinous crime and the fact that all the perpetrators wanna do is try and get away with it. Like, even though it's unforgivable to do something like this at any point, at least if the person just throws themselves on the mercy of the courts and says, what kind of a monster am I? Why did I do this? At least if they show that remorse, even though it won't make it better and it doesn't change the outcome of this poor child's death, it makes you think, oh, okay, maybe there is hope for this individual in the future to change, to grow, to develop, to learn. But Hamilton and Gosney, they do not embody this possibility or potential. In August 2021, Hamilton pleaded guilty to kidnapping. He also gets found guilty of gross abuse of a corpse and also two counts of child endangering, which, of course, makes perfect sense because of the fact that he actively involved himself in this crime, in the fact that he helped to remove the body. We get to the 13th of September 2021. This is at the Butler County Common Pleas Court. The judge, who I wish I had been, imposed the maximum sentence for the charges to Gosney that she pleaded guilty to. She was sentenced to at least 21 years imprisonment, which I think is really light. But I appreciate that 21 years doesn't mean that they'll only serve 21 years. It may well be that the parole board makes it clear that she's never gonna be safe again. But that's the figure that's been placed on it. She chose to make absolutely no comment before the sentence was passed. She didn't apologize. Come on. Like, you know you're going down. At least make good on the reality that you understand why. Say sorry, but no. Now, even though it was 21 years, it was an indefinite sentence. So that means anywhere from 21 years to potentially life. The final sentence is going to be determined by the Ohio Parole Board. So let's not sit there and worry that this woman's going to be walking the streets again. Chances are she won't. And on the 4th of October 2021, Hamilton gets sentenced to 19 years imprisonment. That means that he's going to be eligible for parole after 15 years. I do appreciate as much as Hamilton is a heinous excuse for a human, he didn't actually kill the child or potentially know that that child was gonna get killed. Although with respect, 
I think he's still done quite well to only get 15 years or at least be eligible for parole after 15 years. Like I said, it might well turn out that he also doesn't get it. Lots of people gave testament to the amazing child that James was. You know, James's life was cut short by a woman, the individual that he was meant to be allowed to rely on more than anybody else in this world. The person who on a bad night, scared in the dark, should have been comforting him. The person who should have been taking care of what he ate, making sure he was clean, having fun with him, getting excited about Christmas, promising all the possibilities that parents promise their kids. He should have been promised all of those things. But instead, his own mother murdered him. As those testaments to James's character came in, certain people said beautiful things, as you would imagine. Tracy Neely, who was the principal at James's school, she paid tribute to James in court. She described him as someone who always smiled, loved to help others. She said that light was extinguished too soon by his own mother. He has no more tomorrows. We carry a guilt that cannot be measured. And months later, we still ask, what could we have done to predict this? No sentence will bring James back. All we can do and hope is that his death is not in vain. Our hope is that his legacy shines a light on child abuse. They also very beautifully placed a memorial bench on the school grounds so that he won't be forgotten, so that that bench will represent a presence that was stolen from that place, but that ensures that others remember and are reminded of that lovely little boy. Another victim in this case, of course, is James's father. He was hit really hard by the loss and he said that he's actually experienced PTSD since every time he closes his eyes, he says he sees his dead son. And he just states he wishes he could just speak to James one more time. He said, I love him more than anything in the world. He was so charismatic and he brought joy to everybody. He made everybody smile. What's really sad as well is, in spite of the fact that we have these family members, these individual professionals who work with James, all recounting the meaning of this little boy, all reminding the world of this lovely child and the future that he had taken from him. All these people wanting to some degree to bring him home. But that's never been possible. Because despite repeated searches, they've never found James's body. He's never been brought home to that peace. The people who loved him have nowhere to go and visit him. They took that from James's wider family. And that's another layer of unforgivable behavior. That that child's body was just lost to that river. This case from the get go infuriated me because like in all of the child murder cases, you feel that these human beings were blessed with this potential to raise a child into an adolescent, into a well-adjusted human who can make a difference to this world. And when you hear of parents who just had no care or consideration for the infinite meaning and power that being a parent offers, you're creator of humans. You're the creator of next generations. You're the creator of possibility. And to steal that 
to take that is something that I cannot compute. I'm glad that Brittany Gosney has gone down for as long as she has. I hope she serves the rest of her natural life in prison. I hope that Hamilton gets refused parole again and again and again, because people like this, they don't deserve a future when they stole it so diabolically from that child. And I hope that her other children now are allowed the love, security, compassion, and the hope that they always were entitled to. That's it for Bang to Rights today. Join me for the next episode. See you then. Be safe.